0: Dwells here. And then we move em by the pack, so we moving them. And even if you don't, then you do cause you cool with them. They be like I only went to school with em
1: I don't know, I guess we'll just do I guess we should just do this informally. I don't think we're gonna it's just a mini sode. So I don't even think I need to like do the normal intro or formal introductions or anything.
2: Yeah. That sounds fine to me. Okay. Um, Should we say, like, our names and stuff?
1: I don't think so. I'm just going to go right into it. I'll, I, I have to figure out how I'm going to stitch this together. I'll figure it out.
2: No, uh, I want to say my race and pronouns. You, okay. They don't, maybe
1: they don't know me. I mean, I guess th- that's possible. You've been on the show so many times, though.
2: Yeah, to think. Of, I always think of the newcomer. Okay, fair enough. And this, because I'm on the show, a lot of new people are going to listen to it. Uh, I guess that's
1: true. Uh, well... I'm Andrew. I use he/him pronouns. I'm Asian American
2: and I'm talking to I'm Johnny Rashid. I use he/him pronouns. I'm a brown man. Egyptian American, Arab American. Any of those work. Mhm. So are you expecting you're currently like trying to figure out what your what your kind of the, what the interview circuit or the podcast circuit is going to look like for I, you, right? I'm talking to people to be on the to be on their podcasts. I'm trying to you know Build a platform, uh-huh. try to help people know what I'm ta- writing about when I wrote this book, and what I care about. So, the self promotion and trying to get people to listen to you is not my favorite part of the process. Uh-huh. Um, even though I'm eager to talk about the material, right? I am not that eager to make sure like a wide group of people listens to me. If that makes sense, really? I just feel like you're one of the most kind of extroverted people that i know you're always reaching out to other people i do love making connections i like building relationships i also like getting to know people Uh um but i don't necessarily want a platform um that exists just so my ideas can get out there um really i mean i i mean i mean it when i say like i'm a community person i want to be in community i want to do the church and community, Mm -hmm. and I care about what we're building together and how we're collaborating. The opportunity to write a book was almost antithetical to that. It just so happens that I love writing and I love putting my ideas down on paper. Mm -hmm. I like doing that. I like sharing my perspective. But I also, I really value interaction with it, dialogue, uh, even debate, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't have a lot of uh, aspiration for like, Having a captive audience that can't respond or just listens to me. Interesting. That's not that 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 that, that doesn't feel exciting to me.
1: Mm-hmm. And you're also not. Would you say you're not interested in like promoting yourself in that way?
2: I think really among my friend groups, my friends, I like to share my ideas. Uh-huh. Um. And yeah, it would be nice if a lot of people were encouraged or blessed by what I was writing. Mm-hmm. But essentially. It feels like I'm it feels like I'm begging people to listen to me when I'm like, "Hey, can I be on your podcast? Here's the book." Right, yeah. And that yeah. doesn't feel good? No, it doesn't feel good. Because
1: I feel like there's an evangelical impulse to um, kind of unself consciously be able to walk up to somebody and start promoting well i don 't know an idea Jesus for instance I mean growing up this there was always this idea that if 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 something is the truth or if it 's good or if it m- will make people 's lives better, then you shouldn 't feel ashamed of trying to get other people to listen
2: to you, which I was never very good at. I always want to look for people who are looking for Jesus. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to fit Jesus into people's lives Mm -hmm. that aren't receptive to Jesus. Similarly, like, it would be nice if, I know this doesn't happen. Hey, you heard about the book and you want me on the podcast? Great. Call me up. I'll do it, you know, Mm -hmm. versus, like, contacting all these podcast hosts hoping that they'll have me, you know. I'd rather be invited. And and that that works the same way with, like, um, with Jesus and even with Circle of Hope. We're looking for people that are looking for us and looking for looking for Jesus specifically. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's what extending the table is about. I don't think it's about um coercing somebody or even convincing somebody particularly. I think it's more about we're looking for people that are moved by the spirit to do this. Uh-huh. You know, I don't someone told me Andy Stanley is a as a pastor, um white guy in the South and he 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 he, he is promoting a book mm-hmm. now called not in it to win it. Oh, yeah.
1: Okay, and you've been and, it, and, the,
2: and, the, and the And the and the tagline is something like, how taking a side sidelines the church.
3: Uh-huh.
2: And then my book is Jesus Takes a Side. Right. So, like, actually, you and I have very different opinions about this. And someone emailed or, or messaged me yesterday and was like, you and Andy should have a debate about this. Mm. And I was like, I suppose I could do that. hmm I'm not that interested in debating him, though. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Are you interested in debating him insofar as it promotes your book? Because <laughs> I su- I, you have been, like, responding to his tweets and stuff.
2: Yeah, I suppose that's uh-huh. it. See, but when I do that, I'm looking for people who are moved by the spirit. I'm not trying to convince somebody to do it. This was part of the difficulty of writing the book, uh-huh. is that I, wa- I I was trying to find people who are already interested in this, mm-hmm. you know? Because this the book is about encouraging people to engage politically, right? Right. And someone said there are... A lot of people who engage politically, they just engage in, like, a Republican or a conservative way. Okay. Um, And I thought, no, I'm not trying to convince those people to engage politically. I'm trying to convince the people that are disturbed by far-right Christian politics that it is permissible to engage politically in opposition Mm -hmm. as opposed to simply be quietists. Right. You know, this book is not for donald trump supporters it's not for conservative people Mm -hmm. you know it's not even for people who want a single issue vote on abortion i'm not writing to convince those people Mm -hmm. i'm writing to move people that are convicted but shy or um hesitant to engage politically yeah that's who the audience is yeah it's not intended to convince republican voters to vote democrat for example Mm -hmm. it's mainly intended to stimulate yeah people that are politically quiet or politically
1: uninterested i and i do want to get at some point maybe with the other with uh beth and chris we'll get into the substance of the book itself That sounds good to me um i the reason i wanted to talk to you now is because i basically i recently finished the book i finished it like last week and i figured i want to talk to you a little bit about it before while it's still fresh in my head it's very good well, thank you. <laughs> it's quite good. It's it, I, I was surprised by my reaction to it because I was, I was reading it, um, it's better now than the copy you got too, is it? Yeah. Okay, it's uh, I've. When did we meet, Johnny? How old was I? Was like twenty two, twenty one. You were
2: very young, twenty two. You were just at. You were twenty one. Yeah, and you were like. How old are you now? Thirty thirty four tomorrow. Thirty four. Happy birthday, Andrew. You. So like, I was. You were twenty one. I was twenty three. Right. Yeah. And there have been
1: times in our relationship where I would listen to a sermon that you delivered and I was like, what was that even? That was incomprehensible. Incomprehensible? (laughs) I mean, uh, I I guess I've seen your whole process. That's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. So I was very surprised. I mean, take this however you want, but I was surprised by how good the book was. Well, I appreciate that. Uh Um, It actually contributes something really substantive to the discourse right now and it's really relevant. And
2: I guess one of the things I'm thinking about is what if you get famous? Do you think you're going to get famous? I'm glad you like the book. Uh-huh. I'm glad that you think it's an improvement on my early sermons. Okay. And I hope it does contribute to the discourse. Uh-huh. Um I th- I'm not very good at American colloquialisms, but I think pigs will fly before I'm famous. You think so? Yeah. Like I don't, I don't think that this book has um, a mimetic quality to it. Now that's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'll get famous. Okay, but I'll answer your question. Mm-hmm. What if I do? Sure. I'll, i I am. Ca- I mean, well, I, the,
1: the reason that I think you have, you don't think it has mimetic quality. I just feel like there are a lot of books out there right now that address, that talk about how the Bible responds to certain issues or whatever or talk about or or kind of do an analysis of how Christianity or evangelicalism got into the current situation. But there's, I, I don't know if there's anything that lays out fundamentally the case that that the gospel is has fundamentally political dimensions for the 21st century, even though I know you're drawing on other things, obviously. You didn't come up with this stuff wholesale. And I feel like that speaks to something that people are thinking about now in a way that I haven't seen anybody else talk about.
2: Well, I hope I hope it does bring something novel uh-huh. to the discourse. Um, I wouldn't say the book is heavily cited, but I use I use quite a bit of citations in mm-hmm. it. But that's what I mean. It's also very readable. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I think it does contribute to the discourse. My viewpoint is like Melissa Flora Bixler's book, How to Have an Enemy, mm-hmm. is like a better book, right? Um. And, you know, Melissa's not super famous or something like that. Okay. So maybe that's just me trying to be humble or something mm-hmm. or, or lowering my expectations. But I really do I, – I hope it does what, what, what I want it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that it is saying something necessary. Um, but I, I never wanted to be – an author i like blogging Mm -hmm. i like writing a lot my appetite for writing has largely been satisfied in my vocation Mm -hmm. blogging and writing sermons and engaging that way um i was very surprised when herald press reached out to me to say hey because they're an anabaptist mennonite press Mm -hmm. we don't have exactly the largest pond Right. So, in some ways, if you're looking for new fish in the pond, the pond's not that big, you'll find mm-hmm. me um, at some point. But when Laura Leonard approached me about the book, I was surprised. I wasn't trying to write a book. I wasn't writing pitches. I wasn't querying agents. Right. Um, so, I took advantage of the opportunity because I didn't think it would be that heavy of a lift for me. And it actually happened during a period of time where I could have used a stimulating and enriching distraction. Mm-hmm from the stress of the church sure. particularly I never envisioned myself as an author mm-hmm. and when I envision myself in the future Andrew I'm not an author mm-hmm. I'm still a pastor I'm still a Christian too mm-hmm. and I'm a pastor and a Christian before I'm even a member of Circle of Hope or a Circle of Hope pastor mm-hmm. I'm committed to doing this yeah. you know um, the writing and the research and the scholarship in my opinion helps me do this work mm-hmm. Um but vocationally speaking, I'm not interested in becoming an author that's that sustains himself on selling mm-hmm. books and speaking tours and things like that. Yeah. There could be some of that in my future if there's an opportunity for it. But if I get famous, I hope it just benefits the work that we're doing here. Okay. Um, More than anything. I'm not – I love Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to move. I like what we're doing in the church mm-hmm. and – it would be really cool if people wanted to do this. Apply what we're talking about in this book in a real community. That would be really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And not just interesting. That would be that 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 would be very fulfilling to me.
1: Yeah. How did the subject of the book even come up? How did you think of write of this as the subject of the book that you would write for Herald Press?
2: I've always been interested in how Christians engage in politics, mm-hmm. because I'm. In many ways, through and through an Anabaptist, you know. Um, One of the most important papers I wrote in seminary was called, How Does a Nonviolent Church Participate in a Violent State? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: How do Christians participate in politics? Should Christians participate in politics, and how do they? Mm -hmm. Um, For me, participation in politics was always about harm reduction. Voting was worth the time that it took to do. But, you know, normative establishment American politics doesn't compel participation in the same way that our current political economy does because Barack Obama's healthcare plan was basically a federal version of Mitt Romney's state plan okay. for example right. so the material differences between the two in some ways were negligible mm-hmm. and circle of hope is excited about that we used to say we're more radical than this mm-hmm. we 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 our, our politics don't merely transcend national politics they uh they're they intensify them they're they're more radical mm-hmm. um and so we were very political i was very political um and then participation in national politics seemed secondary um the church's failure to shift when there was abject white supremacy mm-hmm. as a political option, right, from a so-called apolitical or you could say super political above politics mm-hmm. to actually engaged in politics, right. Uh, my heart was convicted. You know that 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 was the moment. Yeah. You know, um, and and I realized. There is no third way between a white supremacist and the person the white supremacist wants dead mm-hmm. or the person the white supremacist wants killed. Yeah, You know, it can't be neutral on a moving train, is how Howard Zinn put it, right? Right. So for me, the love of the least of these, the love of Christ, constrained me to act politically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was really important to give... Christians the opportunity to take a side without regret and without hesitation. Yeah. We're not really trained as Christians to A, be political, and B, to be partisan specifically. Mm-hmm. There's a real push against that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. I remember when I, when I uh, back in, what was it, 2012? was it 2011 2012 in any case when i when i first got involved with the circle of hope when we were still meeting back in 19g one of the first things one of the earliest things that you asked me to do was do I a, whatever a, a solidarity prayer regarding uh, obamacare the health care act i think that's what it was about and what was I, I praying that, that I would get passed? I, I had, you had, uh, I, I, I received very little in terms of what I was supposed to do with that prompt. So I came at it with all the habits I had learned from all my church experience prior to that, where I basically presented both sides, where I basically presented both sides and asked people in general to pray for the issue. Um, and for some reason, it was after that that I realized that, like, oh, I, I think I had kind of misunderstood the prompt because it was clear that you and a lot of people were in support of the of Obamacare and i was like oh well, I, I, what i was, what what surprised me was not that you, you were in support of it what surprised me was that me in a church context i was supposed to expected to i was allowed to maybe that's a better way of putting it i would have been allowed to advocate for it and as i got more involved in circle of hope it actually did surprise me that we were willing to take a stand on certain things like Palestine for instance I mean I think in the same way I think that's what surprised me around around the time that Trayvon Martin was killed because that's around the that that's around the time that circle mobilizing because Black Lives Matter was formed and it was my expectation and my assumption that that was just going to be this we were going to take a stand there just like we had taken a stand on other things and I guess I mean I to to an extent like I feel like Some parts of the church did, but of course, our recent not every
2: not as many people were as on board as I thought it was. When I first got to Circle of Hope, Mm -hmm. there was a bumper sticker on the side of a computer monitor. They were wide, they were deep and wide then. Uh, Okay, and it said "War in Iraq." No, Uh we took a stand. Yeah, and I thought, "Oh, these are my people. I can actually be a part of this church." Mm -hmm. Because they took a stand on the war in Iraq. Right. Now, meanwhile, a lot of Christians were taking a stand for the war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. But I finally found people that opposed it. That felt good. Right. And so I was moved to to join because of that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was amazing to me. I said I wouldn't do this during Lent, but I'm going to. Okay. I've always been in the room where it happens in Circle <laughs> of Hope. Oh, okay. So, like, um, I've been complicit in in any form of oppression that we've perpetuated as a pastor I've been complicit in it Mm -hmm. including white supremacy and it is not right for me as a person of color because I've been a victim of that white supremacy to say I haven't contributed to it Mm -hmm. you feel me? sure I remember when Trayvon died that was killed right and one person said to me we should all be wearing hoods this Sunday in honor of Trayvon Mm mm-hmm and I thought we shouldn't because I had an instinct not to be political. Right. Okay? And let me let me look this up so I can get it right. Okay. Um, the Arizona Congresswoman who was shot. January eighth, two thousand eleven was mm-hmm. Gabby Gifford. Gabby Giffords. She right. died, right? And when was Trayvon?
1: That was two thousand twelve.
2: That was twenty twelve. Yeah. So Trayvon Martin was in two thousand twelve, a year later. Mhm. I remember that among the pastors, when Gabby Giffords got shot, Mm -hmm. there was a dialogue among us to make sure that we talked about it. Right. Very partisan issue in some ways. Even more partisan because we're talking about a Democrat who got shot.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Mm-hmm. And we did not have the same response to Black Lives Matter and Trayvon Martin. Right. And I don't have an answer for why there's a difference there Mm -hmm. besides white supremacy. Right. I remember telling this person we're not going to wear hoods. Mm-hmm. I remember dialogue in Circle of Hope about not wanting to say Black Lives Matter.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Not wanting to attach ourselves to a movement. Right. We've since changed, but I remember the resistance. Yeah. And it is astonishing to me. So... There might be good reason it, for churches not to have very strong political stances when it comes to matters of, let's just say, specific policy. Okay. Um, I'm part of the Development Without Displacement team in Circle of Hope. Mm-hmm. We are involved in very explicit policy making. Right. Like we help write laws that we try to get members of city council to sponsor to pass. Mm-hmm. we we're, we're 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 right in the process, yeah. right? Um and that's always been an expression of a compassion team in circle of hope. So so if you were not interested in housing, mm-hmm. if you're not interested in the specific policy, if you even think the policy itself is misguided, that maybe we shouldn't collect revenue from new development to put into affordable housing to put into our housing trust fund—that's a very specific issue. You could say I care about affordable housing. I don't think this is the best way to build it. Mm-hmm. And those kind of political disagreements are like interesting, right? And but they're not um, existential. Mm-hmm. You know, revenue streams, taxing, zoning laws—all these things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they do end up having an existential, um, an existential. Result, sure. Or an existential effect. Mm-hmm. But I can understand why a church wouldn't want to just be politically organizing for a very specific talking point or policy. Right. However, the issues that polarize us mm-hmm. are not actual politics in terms of, like, policy and legislation. They're issues around race, sexuality, patriarchy, gender. mm mm-hmm. That's what polarizes us. Right. So in those cases, Jesus takes sides, side. Right, because those are existential, because those, those are life are. or death. Yeah, yeah. Right. When we're talking about the livelihood of people, yes. Mm-hmm. So my point is the church cannot distinguish not being political when it comes to specific laws and policy mm-hmm. with existential issues right. that have a political connotation. Yeah. Does
1: that make sense? I it, to- it totally makes sense, and once again, we're getting into the substance of the book, which is kind of hard to walk around, but what I'm interested in is, I, I think... What I'm interested in is how did you come to make this distinction? Did you are, did you always
2: have this distinction? No. After Donald Trump was elected, I yeah. saw, I wrote a blog about the third way between finding a third way or before he was elected when it was Hillary Clinton and mm-hmm. Donald Trump. And it was easier for me to go third way with Hillary and Donald right. because I was a Bernie Sanders person,
3: uh-huh.
2: <laughs> you know? So I have a neoliberal on one hand and then a neo-fascist on the other, right. you know? But I'm interested in the democratic socialist. Mm-hmm. So that there's your third way, right? right. Um, but – Yeah, I mean, I still was hesitant to do that, but, you know, and this is, my journey is in the book. There was a chapter that we had to cut that was about what happened in Charlottesville, Mm -hmm. but those issues, right? Yeah. The Muslim ban in 2017 that affected Arabs like me. When you had neo-Nazis in Charlottesville and Donald Trump saying there's good people on both sides. right? When you had um, Donald Trump opening his campaign, with calling immigrants you know what did he say they were rapists right and mm-hmm. drug dealers and things like right. that i don't know the exact language mm-hmm. but clearly being racist when he called them animals mm-hmm. when they were telling ilhan omar to go back to where she came from right. all of a sudden the politics affected me yeah the Im- the hostility against immigrants in the last during that administration shifted my politics mm-hmm. you know and i'm ashamed to say it yeah that it took the politics to become personal yeah. For me, to realize, oh, there is no third way between my own dignity and someone dehumanizing me. Yeah. And so I was convicted by that. Right. I was convicted by the LGBTQIA people that I spoke to that didn't want a third way in response to their dignity. Mm-hmm. You know, and my own becoming in touch with my own oppression. Right. Helped me become in touch with others' oppression and realize, yeah, this is, this is the movement, right. you know. And add to that, you know, once I got out of the very small world of Circle of Hope, the, small, the, the slightly bigger but still small world of Anabaptists, and I listened to other Christians, both in seminary and in an online community that you and I are part of, Sure, um, I learned that I, I, it just expanded my mind. And I learned more about different theologies, um, specifically liberation theology. Okay. Right. So James Cone, Dolores mm-hmm. Williams, these writers and their understanding of the Gospels just made so much sense to me. Yeah. Um, and I have to admit, while writing the book, and even while doing this work in Circle of Hope, the Bible spoke to me too. hmm The apparent political connotations of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I have a very hard time reading the Gospels in particular and not seeing an explicit political-sidedness in Jesus. Yeah. And what galvanized me further is when I began to express these views, the resistance that white Christians, white male straight Christians mainly, able-bodied, offered me, Mm -hmm. their anxiety confirmed my conviction mm-hmm. in other words white discomfort means you're doing the right thing when it comes to like anti-racism mm-hmm. too often the opposite's true we think white discomfort means we're doing the wrong thing no we should expect it and the more disturbed people that were comfortable in the status quo mm-hmm. became the more confirmation that was, for me, that what I was thinking and where we were going
1: was right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the subject matter of the book might not be entirely uncontroversial even in our community. I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel like the book is kind of a thesis for what the project of the church has been in for several years, where we are pushing against this long-held belief that Jesus doesn't take a side. Uh, I mean, how do you expect... Do you see where I'm coming from? How do you expect the community to receive this book or what you're saying?
2: I hope that my book is not a blueprint for the community or a thesis for it. And I hope that it is a, it contributes to the dialogue in the body. Uh-huh. Um, well, that's an interesting approach because that's part of what I was thinking about. Like what if
1: Circle of Hope becomes known as the – sometimes I have I've been afraid that people will listen to Color Correction and think that the that Circle of Hope is where – Beth, Chris, and I are, and then they will show up and be disappointed. Do you ever think that, like, people are going to think of Circle of Hope as the Jesus takes a side church, and then they're going to have
2: a different experience of the church when they show up? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't think that—I'm not worried about that because I don't want to be the kind of church where the pastor dominates. Uh We've already been through that for the last two years and divesting from that, Mm -hmm. and it is bad. The parish is not the pastor. The pastor is not the parish. They have to be separate. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing these ideas down. I understand the power that I have when I do that. Right. I'm certainly, the Jesus takes aside pastor. Mm-hmm. So Circle of Hope hired me, and if you keep me hired, I'm going to talk about this. Mm-hmm. If I go somewhere else and I'm hired there, they should know that this is going to be the general hermeneutic um, that I understand the world, the Bible through mm-hmm. and Christianity through. Right. I can't change that about myself, but... Good faith dialogue is still possible. Mm -hmm. I'm making the point that it can't come at the expense of oppressed people, Mm -hmm. but we can still talk about it. You know, one of the most encouraging things to me, you read an earlier um, edition, no, draft draft of the book, Uh because a New Testament professor, Matt Thiessen, super sweet person, read through the entire manuscript and gave it a scholarly review. Hmm. And there were moments where like, I needed to change language and make corrections, and that dialogical process improved my argument mm-hmm. and improved the book. Right. So I hope that we can keep dialoguing in a way to lift up what one another are doing. Mm-hmm. I want this to contribute to the dialogue. I don't want it to be end the dialogue. right? But I want it to be good faith dialogue. Mm-hmm. Dialogue is allowed to happen, but we need to have some basic parameters around that dialogue that up for discussion is not the dignity mm-hmm. of racial and sexual minorities for example of disabled people so there's a basic framework that we can have a dialogue in but i don't want circle of hope to become jesus takes a side church mm-hmm. and 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 i'm cu- i'm guarded against that because i've already been accused of that right you know mm-hmm. i've already been accused of of moving the church in this direction single-handedly as if a whole body didn't do this, Mm -hmm. you know. In disagreeing with our anti-racist direction as a church, some people have said... I'm not sure Jesus takes a side as if my book has influenced this idea. It was the will of the Spirit discerned in community that moved us in this direction. And I will contribute to that dialogue as I can and be conscious of the power that I have when I do that. I am not mistaken about the power that I hold when I speak. Mm -hmm. I'm not that—see, I'm familiar with power as a currency. Yeah. And I want to become familiar about how I wield it and how I have it. Right. It would behoove— white men in particular to do the same calculus about the power they hold when they say something Mm -hmm. because i'm familiar with the power that i have and sometimes that will lead me to say something and sometimes that will lead me to be quiet um and i'm still learning how to do that and i I want more feedback about that and and i want to i want to i want to listen better about that um so i'm not mistaken Regarding, I I don't want to be mistaken about the power that I do have to influence the body, even with this material. Mm -hmm. But it cannot be the end of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, For one hand, the voices of the marginalized and of people of color may challenge me and change me, Mm -hmm. you know. And that's, you asked earlier, why why, why did you get to this place? Mm -hmm. I did because I listened to y'all. I remember one time, Andrew, Mm -hmm. I gave some ham-fisted... Um, speech about the, the the wickedness of Donald Trump or something like that. I don't even remember the specifics of it. Okay. And you raised your hand during talk back and said, Johnny, the reason this is happening is because of white supremacy. It's because of growing white supremacy in the United States. Mm-hmm. And your boldness changed me hmm. and motivated me to be more specific about what was happening mm-hmm. um, and more pointed about what was happening. So, as much as I want to influence the church, it is actually the church and the people in our congregation, in, in, in our church, that have influenced me. Interesting. Right. Um, so, I hope to contribute to that dialogue, but I hope people can keep challenging me too. Mm-hmm. Um, because I really do think that if we think we're done learning and done growing, then we, we cannot move with what the Spirit's doing next.
1: Yeah. This would be a natural place to end. But but I want to talk about this. Uh and we have some time left. Um, what is up with uh? What, so you're fasting from Hamilton for Lent?
2: I think that was just a joke. Hamilton references. I, I, I said during the Sunday meeting last week, I'm gonna no longer do. You know, I said, try to feel all your pain uh-huh. this Lent. You know, and I said something like, get rid of the nightcap at night if that's something you do. Mm-hmm. Ease back on the CBD if that's what you do. Um. Put away the uh, chocolate treat. Get rid of that MSG-laden Dorito because uh-huh. that's what makes Doritos taste good—is MSG. And MSG makes everything that it's in taste good, including ranch dressing. Uh-huh. You know what's amazing about white people—they eat Doritos and and ranch dressing, and they love it. And then uh-huh. all of a sudden, they talk about and all uh, of a sudden they're allergic to Chinese MSG. restaurant syndrome or something when right. they have like Kung Pao chicken with MSG in it. Right. It's like, hey, you eat plenty of it. Uh-huh. Um, it's just like kelp, anyway. Okay, I'm a food guy. Sorry, this is a long way to say, and I'm gonna get rid of some things that comfort me. Mm-hmm. For example, and this was the first time I made reference to to so the fact that you had been making references yes, to Hamilton because I was for always months. I always now you're an attorney. I don't know how much plausible deniability I had about the explicit references that okay, I made. but I never admitted that I did that. Right, um, but they were all over some talks. Uh, yes, they were.
1: That but why why what's with you and Hamilton?
2: Um, during the p- pandemic, I got I list I I saw the musical and then I kept listening to it uh-huh. and I liked the songs a lot. Yeah, and I like um, I like the spirit of revolution in the first act. Mm-hmm. I like the the interesting the, the the complication of politics in the second. Mm-hmm. You know when. David Diggs, who plays Thomas Jefferson in the second act, mm-hmm. it's after there's a lot there's there's all this uh, tragedy and death and Philip Hamilton dies and they're mourning him and it's very emotional. Right. And then David says, "Can we get back to politics?" Uh-huh. And that that's the for me there's something fun and funny about that moment okay. because I like the uh, the political um, atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I like. You know, making deals, making a compromise, you know. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite songs is Room Where It Happens because I like how, how the politics works. And I have a political orientation in my thinking. So I appreciate that. And I will say this. Okay. One of the reasons I like Hamilton is the amount of contempt with which people treat it. There's so many people that hate Hamilton so much. Uh, okay. And I think it's great. And I think it's weird not to like it. I think it's fine not to like it. I think it's weird to hate it um because I don't think it is like it's it's doing something to you mm-hmm. there's this um and this is I think there's some white male contempt toward popular things sure um and so that even excited me more you know like i I do the Hamilton references for the cringe and the groans as much as anything else okay you know the white women in the congregation are happy with it. Mm-hmm. I understand that but the, when you groan <laughs> through your mask, uh huh, I want you to know that that encourages me to do more. Okay, because I'll... it's very funny to me. Like, and I get so happy when I do it. Uh huh. Like you can hear the smile in my voice. Right. You know, when I when I talk about this. Yeah. Um. And the longer I go. The more absurd it becomes, right? The it, more the more
1: amused it is I am. absurd, just because at this point the musical is so far in the past of the cultural zeitgeist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm I'm an old guy, so I'm doing this old thing. Yeah, it's such a dad thing to do. It's just amazing to watch. Totally. Um, I, I don't know. I, I caught on late to it, and I'm keeping it going. I get that. I get your connection to it because of the political aspect. I guess the other thing. Do you relate to the character of Hamilton?
2: No. No. You don't think of yourself as being, like, nonstop? Um, there's, there's moments um, in the... The man is nonstop, right? Mm-hmm. There's moments in the musical that I, I uh, have... I relate to Hamilton, mm-hmm. you know? Hamilton doesn't hesitate. He exhibits no restraints, and he takes, and he takes, and he takes, mm-hmm. and he keeps winning anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Changes the game and raises the stakes, right? That's the line? Okay. It's so great. That's a good song. Um... There's parts of his ambition that I like.
3: Right.
2: Um Hamilton is a host unto himself. As long as he has a pen, he's mm-hmm. a threat. You know, I can relate to that writing, I can relate to that prolific writing, I mm-hmm. can relate to um you know, writing myself out of my plight. So like in that way, yeah, sure, I'm like Hamilton. Sure. But Hamilton um Hamilton could have used the advice of Aaron Burr at times to talk less and smile more because mm-hmm. there are moments where you just need to wait for it. There mm-hmm. are moments where you need to be patient for the opportunity. Hamilton, um, he destroyed his life mm-hmm. because of his drive and his ambition and his blindness to it. You know, one of my favorite songs, and maybe this is a personal conviction for me, one of my favorite songs is Take a Break. Okay. Right. You know, and by the way, during that talk when I said, and I'm going to get rid of um, the Hamilton references for the next six weeks in the next paragraph there was a line that said but on Sundays you can take a break and I was gonna do that uh-huh. but I thought no no don't don't just do what you said you weren't gonna do okay um, but now it's on tape so I'm happy about that right um, I don't relate to Hamilton exactly there are parts of his ambition that I do relate to mm-hmm. but I wish he had a little bit more political savvy hmm. um and made better decisions, yeah. you know. Um, and he should have taken the break that summer, mm-hmm. and then his debt plan could have gone through anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, the compromise of seventeen uh, ninety. I don't remember. Is that it? That's 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 the dinner that Jefferson sets up. You know, mm-hmm. the menu, the venue, the seating. Right. Um. That probably could that could have happened even if he took the break
3: mm-hmm.
2: with Angelica and Eliza at their dad's house. And that's the summer that he got so stressed that it messed him up and he got involved and then the Reynolds pamphlet happened. Right. And then he made a comeback and then endorsed Thomas Jefferson and that led to his, his duly ad with Aaron Burr, right? Right, yeah. Um, I listened to the musical and there are moments that I wish he would have paused, taken a break, mm-hmm. did more political calculation, but he didn't think like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've often said, if only Aaron Burr and... And Alexander Hamilton could have learned from each other. Mm -hmm. They could have actually had a pretty good movement. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I would say. So there's parts of Hamilton that frustrate me, but there's parts, particularly his ambition, Mm -hmm. that I relate to. That was a long answer to your question. I think that's
1: exactly what I was looking for, though, because, honest, I think I have an automatic deference to pastors Mm -hmm. because of how I was raised. And I know that other frequently throughout your tenure as a pastor, people have kind of projected their dads onto you. And I think in a weird way, I might be doing the same thing. In seeing you get a, uh, have more of a platform, in seeing you write a book, in seeing how prolific you are in your blog and stuff, um, I think that the possibility of the corrupting power of that ambition when it's not checked, uh, I mean, I've seen it really mess up my dad. And I think I've also inherited a lot of those toxic qualities myself. I've, in like that relentless drive toward pursuing something, um, has really gotten me into trouble. Um, and so, I don't know, like that, 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 stuff, that stuff that I'm wrestling with. And I, I guess I was curious about like, huh, when I watch Hamilton, that's what I see. I, I see myself in Hamilton and that scares me. I wonder if you, do, if you see the same thing.
2: Yeah, there are times where his ambition just blinds him to the things that are around him. Uh He doesn't listen well, you know. Um, I listen to the audio a lot, but I recently watched the musical. Mm -hmm. Um, And I watched it over the course of, like, many days because I don't often have two hours and 40 minutes to watch something. Uh Uh-huh. And one of my favorite songs... um, one last time, right. when Washington is resigning yeah. not, or deciding not to pursue another term, mm-hmm. he's, he goes to address Hamilton and he says, he says, I know you're busy. And he is busy. If you look at them, you have to see it. You can't, it's not, it's not in the singing. Right. So he's writing something down and he's barely acknowledging him. mm mm-hmm. And he's getting lost. He's not listening to what Washington is saying. And Washington says, Thomas Jefferson resigned this morning. Mm -hmm. Right. And he said, I'm not going to pursue another term. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: What? You're kidding. And then they go into it, and he's learning something in that moment. Right. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't paying attention before. Hamilton, Hamilton's ambition was the result of not having a secure childhood, of always having to make it on his own. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to die in glory. Right. Hamilton wants to fight, not write. Remember that line? Mm-hmm. He wants to keep going. Um, and he wants to die in glory. He was ready to do that. He was, had a martyr complex. Right. Um, and I have some political consciousness about that. Where, like, I'm not going to let my my ambition take me over because I have bigger things to do than just fulfill my ambition. Mm -hmm. And we have bigger things to do as a community than just that. But I've seen people around me fail so frequently because they've let their ambition overtake them. Right. They fail because of that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not interested in that. I actually want to succeed. And so, humility, collaboration, listening to others, I hope that helps. Yeah. And I hope that if you see me, if you see me pursuing my ambitions at the expense of the community, you would talk to me about that. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and I want my people to hold me accountable. Right. Um, along the way, I've sought permission from my overseers to be cool with this process, and I've tried to hold myself accountable in terms of the time that it takes, but that's one thing, you know, um... But I think as I started this, I I don't have an appetite for self promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny when something goes viral or there's a, a post that's popular, and I I like that. I like getting my voice out there. I'm not going to deny that there's like there's endorphins there. Right. Um, but I like the process of drafting and writing a lot more than I like the process of of uh. Promoting my stuff. Right. One of the reasons I write every week is because I have I have more to say. Mm-hmm. I like the conversation. Right. I like writing. I like the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't like having a brand, you know. Hmm. Um, as much as I like, you know, being myself, honestly, because I'm I'm a three. I'm ambitious. Okay. I'm ambitious, but like I have a significant four wing too. Okay. And so I like to be creative. Mm-hmm. Um. And. I'm learning. My growth edge is learning to be, um, learning to be okay with the process, and not just the outcome. Yeah, you know, okay with um, how the book's received, as long as I'm happy with it. Right. I did this at an opportune time, because I didn't. I didn't get a book deal in my twenties, mm-hmm. where I could have fallen and made a lot of mistakes. Okay. Because I wasn't as developed. You know, I have a. Nine and a six-year-old. I have a church that I'm trying to hold together with a bunch of other people. This isn't a suitable career option for me. It's really just an extra thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I'm not... I'm not um, interested in... My, my ambition right now is really for... I, I, I really want to discipline myself to be ambitious for the sake of the gospel and not for the, even the sake of uh, this book. And if I apply... If I apply the thesis of the book to my life, Mm -hmm. it should prevent me from doing that. Right? Because this isn't about uh, gaining the whole world, but forfeiting your soul. Right. So I want to keep my soul intact and I want to suffer in my suffering. You know, I don't want the potential success of this book to compromise what is formed. The theology, the biblical hermeneutic, and the politics around this book, which is in fact my suffering right. as a person of color. I want to stay in touch with that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes success can conceal the pain. Yeah. And I would say in Circle of Hope that happened. So when we planted North Broad, the congregation grew very much. And cells multiplied. New leaders were coming. We, re- we wrote new songs. You were a part of that. Okay, a lot right. of cool things happened. Um, and I was very eager to move the cell multiplication movement and be as successful as possible. The whole, the, 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 the evangelistic mega church kind of uh, energy mm-hmm. was there. Right. I, and we said we'd never be a mega church, but I wanted to multiply the congregation and wanted that other congregation to multiply. I still have those goals. Mm-hmm. But um, in, in, in those moments, Andrew, I made mistakes and I hurt people along the way. My ambition hurt people Mm -hmm. and it kept me from taking a stand on yeah Trayvon Martin on LGBT issues right um so in some ways I've lived the experience of letting my ambition make me the kind of person I didn't want to be Mm -hmm. and I have to repent and apologize and make things right there you know um because we suffered from Exceptionalism, we suffered from hubris, the kind of stuff that you heard about in the Mars Hill podcast, which you should have me on another time to talk about how the Mars Hill podcast has related to Circle of Hope. That'd be an interesting discussion. Okay. Um, But in my 20s, I, I, I faced that, and I faced significant failures, um, which is how my ambition is checked. A significant... Um, kind of failure. You know, even in Hamilton, mm-hmm. he had this affair with uh, Maria Reynolds, as it were. Right. And his life essentially fell apart. Mm-hmm. He had the moment where um, David rapes Bathsheba and kills Uriah and mm-hmm. his fall, his ha- his whole household falls apart right. and Absalom wants to kill him by the end of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, pride cometh before the fall. Right. That's in Hamilton and the Bible. Um, and... The biggest failures that I regret as a pastor are the relationships that I severed, um, the pain I've caused people, um, the anger and the guilt that I imposed when people wanted to move on from mm-hmm. the community or do something else. Yeah. I was just at a wedding the other day, and I saw all these old friends that I hadn't seen in a while, mm-hmm. largely because of the pandemic, but many of them used to be a part of Circle of Hope. Right. And... I suffered no animosity in seeing them. Mm -hmm. Love to be with them, love to connect, and that's a change in me, too. Yeah. You know, it's important for ambitious people to see our ambition as a game more than something that defines who we are. Mm -hmm. What defines who I am is being able to be faithful to God. Mm -hmm. And I think being faithful to God means being an advocate for the oppressed. Mm -hmm. I am happy that I can hang my hat on this, mm-hmm. that in Circle of Hope, I helped participate in a movement towards us becoming LGBTQIA affirming. That is success that I can hang my hat on. I can say, hey, we did this. Right. has nothing to do with how successful the book is. I am not interested in that. If the book helps inspire and, con- and convict and change people and disciple them, that's great. I don't think book sales necessarily do that. Yeah. Um... So I really hope that my thought um, and my posture is different and, 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 and changing. Um, when we were merging the congregations in 2018, I got the advice from one of our pastors to not apologize for mm-hmm. anything, even though these people were hurting and frustrated by the process. And that just seemed like baloney to me. I knew that we had to approach this with humility if we were going to gain trust with people. So... To me, learning to see where I've fallen short and where I've failed and repenting of that has helped me um not take myself so seriously, mm-hmm. not be so defensive, not be so prideful. Yeah. You know. This isn't the end of the world. It was fun to do. I like to write. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Um but I have other things that I want to um that I think I want to be faithful to, mm-hmm. you know and yeah. i don't think god cares how many copies of this book sell i think that my integrity and my humility are more important so like i want yeah. to discipline myself in that way sure. and continue to be in touch with my own continue to be in touch with my own suffering as a person of color and as right. an oppressed person um and let that inform my work yeah you know i found that when i'm vulnerable it's better yeah um and I think vulnerability is a good check with um, ambition. And I do have that ambition. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I want to I keep doing this work here.
1: Right. It comforts me to hear you say that. I guess we can leave it there for now. And I get the plan is we'll have you on to talk about the substance of the book.
2: Yeah, that sounds good, man. Yeah,
1: let's do it that way. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for the chat. Thanks a lot. This is right.
0: fun. Cool. Hey, Andrew. Can you hear us?
1: Yes. Chris? Yeah, I'm here. All right, cool.
0: Um, Do you have to tell us that you're recording?
1: Uh, I am recording. (laughs) That's my favorite part of these.
0: (laughs) I always hope that he doesn't tell us so that I can sue him.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I I did... Yeah, I did. I did ruin your master plan you there, my I've
0: been trying to get some Andrew money for years now.
1: Yeah, one of these days I'll forget, and that'll be that'll be payday. That'll be
0: my that'll Good. be my pay day. <laughs>
1: um, did you guys get a chance to listen to the interview with Johnny?
4: No, I have. I've been deconstructing a a shed.
0: Oh, I actually did listen to it. So, should we record again later when we when we both listen to it? I don't it? think
1: so. I'm trying to get this done in time, and we don't really have to like go into go it into in, in detail. Yeah, but cool. okay. um, as, as I said on the episode, at some point, it's probably soon, we'll get Johnny back on, and we'll record in the studio to talk to him about the the book itself. Yeah. Um. But. I don't know. Beth knows that for a little while I've been thinking about my personal fears of Johnny getting famous, which is which might be more yeah. rooted in what's going on with me than what potentially might be going on with Johnny.
4: Yeah, we talked about that a little bit at your birthday party. I mean, I think I think Johnny actually did the majority of the talking. As is <laughs>
1: usual. You will notice that there are long periods of this conversation where I basically I I just say, okay, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Just a
0: lot. <laughs> yeah I do think it's really interesting that you're afraid of Johnny getting famous Mm -hmm. and we were talking about that we talked about it um when we went out for drinks for your birthday and then me and you talked about it again uh this past Friday Mm -hmm. it is interesting to me that that's something that comes up for you because of having a fear of a friend becoming famous. I wish one of my um, girlfriends would become famous. Them bitches don't do nothing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I want y'all to take me out to dinner or something, you know? (laughs) So the fear of a friend getting famous is so interesting to me. So what do you think, I guess, Andrew, have you thought about what fame means to you?
1: I think the thing that I'm most afraid of is the kind of ambition that leads people to want fame or want influence because I've seen I think I've seen that mess people up. It was interesting to me when we were hanging out, Beth, and you were like and you were like telling me like Johnny's not gonna be famous. <laughs> like you were and I was like offended.
0: Was that offensive?
1: I felt like you were belittling my fears.
0: <laughs> I am so sorry. It's okay. I don't- I don't mean to belittle it, but it is. I just am like Johnny's not going to get famous. Like Johnny is doesn't have that personality. You know what I mean?
4: hmm
0: I don't but know. I, I mean, I mean
4: I, I mean think Johnny's pretty is ambitious. Trying. I could see where you're. I could see why you're saying that. Hmm.
0: That's so funny. So you feel the same way, Chris? Well,
4: I don't. I mean, Johnny's definitely ambitious, and that that like I I agree with Andrew that that. I think that's the dark side of ambition, like what he's what he's pinpointing. The thing is, that I don't I don't necessarily like. While Johnny's ambitious, I don't think I think he's got a, a a deep enough sense of himself not to not to be ruled by that.
1: Yeah,
0: that's so interesting. Johnny getting fame, or any average person getting <laughs> yeah, fame, actually not just Johnny, but the thought of anybody getting famous, myself a friend, I'm just like, that's totally never going to happen. Like, Mm -hmm. fame feels like such a shot of luck. It would almost be like, Andrew, I think what I actually hear you saying and probably why you were like, Stephanie is like belittling my fear. Uh Getting fame to me is like winning the lottery. Mm -hmm. So it would be like you saying to me when I bought a lottery ticket, I'm really afraid that you're going to like get all this money and like Mm -hmm. run off or something. I, I would be like, Andrew, I'm not winning the lottery. <laughs> that's how getting famous feels to me.
1: Yeah. I guess I'm not so much afraid of him being becoming, like, celebrity famous, you know? Like, I don't think that's realistic.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: But, like, the idea of, I don't know, y- like, influence going to somebody's head. I, I know very few pe- influential mm-hmm. people who, are not, who aren't also assholes in some way. Like, I know very few mm-hmm. very well-regulated influential people, to be honest. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe that's, that's really, what I'm afraid of. Who would he become if he got a taste of influence and would you lose him? Maybe that's actually the fear. Oh,
1: that's a great point. I think that's what I'm really afraid of because I've seen people that's get transformed by that desire and then become different people and then I lose them. So maybe that's what I'm really yeah. afraid of. I'm afraid of losing Johnny. That's,
0: yeah. That's it is. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And I could see that fear because influence does change people.
4: Right. definitely
0: when people start mm-hmm. moving into their ego and going mm-hmm. with it you they do transform into new people right. so from that i could see being very afraid of losing your friend yeah, yeah. well that thanks for helping me
1: figure sense. that out that actually does make a lot of sense yeah uh and chris i'm curious about what you'll think after listening to this because i think i do feel a little better after talking to him but maybe we can talk about our reactions the next time we're together yeah, I'd like that. I'd like that. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Cool. All right. So I figured we would get on the phone and talk about and do our ending bit here. So uh, do you want to do it? Do you guys want to do that?
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: let's do it. All right, cool. So the last thing we like to do is talk about whatever we're into this week. Uh, Beth, do you want to kick us off? <laughs>
0: what i am into is really weird and random and nuanced but i am into people being as awkward as i am coming out of this pandemic (laughs) (laughs) i went to a networking event recently and i was like dressed to the t like had my business cards ready I was ready to mingle and everybody I was mingling with was so awkward I shook somebody's hand they grabbed my elbow <laughs>
4: whoa <laughs> it,
0: was so, it was so weird <laughs> like how did you miss my hand and go for my elbow and then at one time we I was having like witty banter right um with these two women um about like children. And the thing in education is that like seventh graders are the worst, right? That's like the kind of like funny conversation. That, right. That. Right. So one woman says, you know what? I actually like seventh graders. And me and the other woman say, Oh my God, I can't believe it. Ha 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 Right. I'm just thinking of how am I going to get you my card? And the other woman says, Seventh graders are stupid little people and I was like, <gasps> Oh my God. Ooh. <laughs> I don't think you actually met that. (laughs) Right. That's a really awkward and terrible thing to say about children. So that is what I'm into. Like, Mm -hmm. I was really afraid that I was going to be offensive and awkward in front of people. But everybody was way more offensive and awkward than me. So I'm into awkward people this week.
4: It's like all of our volume knobs are turned to the wrong setting.
0: Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. It was really funny when she just... (laughs) (laughs) and <laughs> looked at her and we were like
1: uh-huh, uh-huh. That oh cool. god you <laughs> forgot how to read a room
0: yeah <laughs> uh, we don't want to laugh at this anymore we were laughing we're I feel like
1: I would now. really have connected to somebody that would be willing to say that in public
0: <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
0: that's not that that's your response Andrew
4: yes.
0: <laughs> like oh, i my found- it Friend. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I'm into.
1: Cool. I'm actually. Why don't we go to me next? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because I'm actually into something <laughs> somewhat similar, which is the the kind of the two weeks of spring we get in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Combined with the fact that we're like between waves right now, which means that like oh yeah, we get to like it's super awkward, right it is very awkward, but there's a the the upside to that is that we actually get to see people's faces, which is nice,
4: yeah, yeah, no, like
1: we have spent two Fridays together,
4: mm-hmm.
0: and we're going for a third this one, yeah, yeah, I'm
1: psyched, I'm excited too, yeah, I'm super into that. We uh, have
0: not spent time together in two years, yeah, <laughs> and every month together. And whenever else during the week yeah so now it's almost like we're going back to normal
4: yeah no like i would
1: see you two like three times a week
0: mm-hmm. before yeah. the pandemic
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i'm like i'm holding it very loosely i'm like aware that you know everything could change again very quickly it's sickly absolutely so I'm yeah. enjoying it while it lasts anyway yeah chris what are you into
4: um well kind of piggybacking off of off of like your conversation with Johnny and the kinds of things you're um you're processing. Um I've been watching Inventing Anna. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Um mm-hmm. well first of all like I love Julia Garner um who's the who's the actor who who plays Anna Delvey. Anna Delvey this like person who like pretended to be a wealthy socialite at the age of twenty had like this crazy influence and just had like people buying her everything cuz they thought that like she was going to pop off and like get her inheritance um and it's like it's bizarre. It's like her her hold over people is bizarre and and it's just because like she played the part so well. It's because she's white. Yeah. Yeah.
0: 100%. I that's like sorry. That's like a missing piece to these stories, these documentaries on Hulu and Netflix. Nobody ever talks about the racialized component. Only no. when a fucking weirdo like Elizabeth Holmes was given millions of dollars is because she's a white woman. And we think that that white people already deserve access to funds. And oh,
4: yeah.
0: when, when a white woman just asks for it people just, or any white person, people just give it to them and then have the nerve to be shocked afterwards.
4: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that this, that's, this is my favorite part. I'm just like, everybody is getting what they deserve.
0: Absolutely. I don't think either one, I don't think she should be uh, deported.
4: No, <laughs> or I agree. Rotten. Oh, my y'all God. I was, I was totally going to say that. I was like, she doesn't even to, need to go to jail. Like
0: That's what y'all get for being dumb.
4: She's poor and you lost some money. Everybody's yep. even.
0: Yep, everybody's even.
4: Oh, I. But I'm just. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm loving the. I'm. I'm just. Yeah, I'm loving the takedown of of wealthy people, wealthy white people.
0: Imagine <laughs> my black ass telling a bunch of white people that I had a good business idea.
4: <laughs> I mean, her business idea was opening up a club, Bethany.
0: That's it. I'm about to do some skin bleaching and wake up talking about I love Gudon. That's what I'm you
4: just—you just, uh, just got a Cyrano. You're waiting wow. at the next thing. This is uh, yeah.
1: this is the this is the premise for for a uh, for a new documentary.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Andrew, it's just like I,
4: we are about to manifest all your worst fears.
0: <laughs> I'm going to become a famous German socialite.
4: <laughs> like, no, Beth hasn't changed at all. What are you talking about? <laughs>
1: Okay. Uh special thanks to Joe Mahoney, our audio engineer. Jared Selby does our theme song, and Tess Petino is our uh social media goddess.
0: <laughs> and she's not German.
1: And she is not.
0: No. She sounds like social light to me, social media goddess. She's
1: also like <laughs> quite belabored right now. She's like o- overwhelmed with the amount of work that she has to do. So
4: Yeah. She's you know Tess and there's some love.
0: Yeah. Um, and with that, y'all, we haven't heard from you in a while. So please, please go on our website, colorcorrectionpodcast.com and drop us online. Let us know how you are Jesus following um, and trying to be anti-racist. Let us know about your journey. And with that, stay black, Little Mermaid.